0: Lesson 6 for May 2 to 8, Women in the Ministry of Jesus. Sabbath afternoon, May 2. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Your name is so great and so wonderful. The name of Jesus has power. And as we study this week and learn more about You and about Jesus and why He was here and what He did while He was here from the book of Luke, We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Our memory text this week is Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's read that again, Galatians 3, verses 26 to 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Luke's gospel is sometimes called the gospel of women, because more than any other one, it makes special mention of how caring Jesus was to the needs of women, and also of how involved women were in his ministry. In the time of Jesus, as in some cultures today, women were deemed of little worth. Some Jewish men in that time thanked God that they were not created a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Greek and Roman society sometimes treated women even worse. Roman culture developed its permissiveness to an almost unlimited licentiousness. A man often had a wife only in order to produce legitimate children who would inherit his property. And he had concubines for his own sinful pleasures. Against such a backdrop of women being treated so badly... Jesus brought the good news that women are indeed daughters of Abraham, as we read in Luke 13, verse 16. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? How happy the women of those days must have been to hear that, In Jesus they are children of God and of equal worth with men in the sight of God. The message today for women of all nations remains the same. We are all men and women, one in Christ Jesus. Sunday, May 3, Women Who Welcomed Jesus' Advent Only Luke records the reaction of these women to the wonder of cosmic history, that the Son of God took human flesh in order to complete the redemptive mission of the Father and to fulfill the messianic hopes of his people. Though these women didn't fully understand what was happening, their words and reactions to these astonishing events revealed their faith and wonder at the works of God. Question. Read Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. The encounter between Mary and Elizabeth. What does Elizabeth say that reveals her understanding, however limited, of the great events that were taking place? Luke 1, beginning at verse 39 Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, to a city of Judah, and entering the house of Zacharias, and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. For why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfilment of those things which were told her from the Lord. After Elizabeth spoke, Mary then followed with her own words, beginning In chapter 1 and verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. and to his seed, forever. Often understood to be a song, these words are full of fragments from the Old Testament, attesting that Mary was a devoted student of Scripture, and thus a fit mother for Jesus. Mary's song is rooted not only in Scripture, but deep down in her relationship with God. An identity emerges between her soul and her Lord, between her faith and Abraham's hope. Question. Read Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. What important truths are brought to light in the story of Anna in the temple? Beginning at verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instance, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Expectant hope finds its radical fulfillment in Jesus. An old widow recognises the miracle, and from then on she made it her compulsive mission to proclaim the Saviour to all those who came to the temple. She became the first woman evangelist of the gospel. So to finish today, try to imagine the wonder and astonishment of these women at the events unfolding around them. What can we do to help keep alive in our own hearts the wonder and astonishment of the great truths that we've been called to proclaim? Sunday, May 4, Women and Jesus' Healing Ministry. Read Luke chapter 4, verses 11 to 17, the story about the miracle at Nain. Beginning at verse 11, Now it happened the day after, that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, Then fear came over all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up amongst us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. This woman, impoverished and widowed, now faced another trial, the death of her only son. A large crowd of mourners was with her in the funeral procession, Expressing public grief and sympathy. The loss of her only son, coupled with the uncertain future of life alone, turned the widow into a picture of absolute sorrow and hopelessness. But the funeral procession going out of the city met with another procession entering into it. At the head of the outgoing procession was death in a casket. At the head of the incoming procession was life in the majesty of the Creator. As the processions met, Jesus saw the widow, hopeless and full of grief. As it says in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, Don't cry. The plea not to cry would have been meaningless had it not come from Jesus, the Lord of life. For behind the command, Don't cry, was the power to remove the reason for her crying. Jesus reached forward, touched the coffin, and ordered the young man to arise. The touch was considered a ceremonial defilement. Uh, Actually, we can read about that in Numbers chapter 19, verses 11 to 13. "'He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean.'" Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. But to Jesus, compassion was more important than ceremonies. Meeting human needs was more urgent than adhering to mere rituals. The village of Nain not only witnessed a great miracle, but also received a marvellous message. In Jesus there is no difference between the emotional pangs of men and those of women, and his presence confronts and confounds the power of death. Read also Luke chapter 8, verses 41 and 42, and then 49. Chapter 56 Jairus was an influential person, a ruler of the synagogue, an officer in charge of the care and services of the synagogue. Let's start with verse 41. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about twelve years of age, and she was dying. And the story continues at verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James and John and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all aside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them, to tell no one what had happened. Each Sabbath, Jairus would choose the person who would lead in prayer, scripture reading, and preaching. He was a person not only of eminence and influence, but also of wealth and power. He loved his daughter and did not hesitate to approach Jesus for the healing of his child. So to finish today... In these stories, it was the power of Jesus' words that brought a dead son back to his mother and a dead daughter back to her father. Think about how incredible these acts must have been to those who saw them, especially to the parents. What do these accounts tell us about the power of God? What do they tell us about just how limited we are in understanding that power? After all, science at present doesn't have a clue about how this could happen. Most important though, what must we do in order to learn to trust in the power and the goodness of the God who wields it, regardless of our present circumstances? Tuesday, May 5, Women of Gratitude and Faith In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, Jesus turned a meal into an event of spiritual magnitude that offered dignity to a sinful woman. Let's read about that. We'll read verse 36 through to verse 50. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore... "'which of them will love him more?' "'Simon answered and said, "'I suppose the one whom he forgave more.' "'And he said to him, "'You have judged rightly.' "'Then he turned to the woman "'and said to Simon, "'Do you see this woman? "'I entered your house. "'You gave me no water for my feet, "'but she has washed my feet with her tears "'and wiped them with the hair of her head. "'You gave me no kiss.' But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven." And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon, a leading citizen, a Pharisee, invited Jesus for a meal. Invitees seated. There was a sudden disruption. A woman in the city, who was a sinner, it said in verse 37, rushed straight to Jesus, broke an alabaster box of very expensive perfume, poured the ointment on him, bowed down to his feet, and washed them with her tears. Question. What lessons can we learn from the woman's outpouring of gratitude and Jesus' acceptance of her act of faith? From The Desire of Ages, page 568, we read, when to humanize her case appeared hopeless christ saw in mary capabilities for good he saw the better traits of her character the plan of redemption has invested humanity with great possibilities and in mary these possibilities were to be realized through his grace she became a partaker of the divine nature mary was first at the tomb after his resurrection it was Mary who first proclaimed a risen Saviour. In Luke chapter 8, verses 43 to 48, a case of supreme wretchedness becomes the object of the Saviour's supreme regard. For so long, this woman had an incurable disease that ravaged her body and soul. Yet, in this twelve year tragedy, a flicker of hope suddenly burst on the scene. She heard about Jesus. Let's read that story in Luke chapter 8 verses 43 to 48. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on positions and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master... The multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well go in peace. For so long this woman had an incurable disease that ravaged her body and soul. Yet in this twelve-year tragedy a flicker of hope suddenly burst on the scene. As it said in verse 27 of Mark chapter 5, she heard about Jesus. What did she hear? A little or a lot? We do not know. But she knew that Jesus cared for the poor. He embraced social outcasts, he touched lepers, he turned water into wine, and above all, he cared for desperate people, of which she was one. But hearing was not enough. Hearing must lead to faith, as it says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 7. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And that faith led her to a simple act of touching the edge of his garment. That touch was faith-driven, purposeful, efficacious, and Christ-focused. Only such a faith can receive the benediction of the life-giver. Your faith has made you well. It's so easy to look at people and judge them, isn't it? Even if we often don't verbalize it, in our hearts we judge them which is still so wrong. How can we learn to stop judging others, even in our thoughts? When who knows what we'd do, were we in their situations? May 6 some women who followed Jesus. Question read Luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42. What important spiritual truths do we take from this story? We'll also look at Luke chapter 8 verse 14 for ourselves. Well beginning in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38 to 42. Now it happened, as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And Luke chapter 8 verse 14 reads, Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. As the hostess, Martha was distracted with much serving, as Jesus said, and was busy in getting the best for the guests. But Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word, so much so that Martha complained to Jesus that she alone was left to do the hard work. While Jesus did not rebuke Martha for her preoccupation with service, he pointed out the need for right priorities in life. Fellowship with Jesus is the first essential in discipleship. Potluck can come later. Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 525, The cause of Christ needs careful, energetic workers. There is a wide field for the Marthas, with their zeal in active religious work. But let them first sit with Mary at the feet of Jesus. Let diligence, promptness and energy be sanctified, by the grace of Christ. Then the life will be an unconquerable power for good. Question. Read Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, chapter 23, verses 55 to 56, and chapter 24, verses 1 through to 12. What do these verses teach about the role of women in Christ's ministry? Luke 8, verse 1, now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons, and Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance." and Luke 23 verses 55 to 56. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And Luke chapter 24 verses 1 right through to 12. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, and certain other women with them, came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marvelling to himself at what had happened." As his ministry expanded, Jesus went through every city and village preaching and teaching, we read in Luke 8, verse 1, with the twelve disciples accompanying him. Luke also records the powerful testimonies of certain women whom Jesus had healed, who were touched by his preaching, and who were of wealth, also followed him in his enlarged ministry. Here are some whom Luke mentions. One, certain women healed of evil spirits, including Mary Magdalene, two, Joanna, wife of Chusa, business manager of Herod, three, Susanna, and four, many others who provided for him. So to finish the day, when we understand that Jesus died for every human being, we can better grasp the true equality of every person before God. How well do we reflect this truth in our attitude toward others? That is, how can you root out, if necessary, any attitude in which you might tend to look down upon others as somehow less worthy than yourself? Thursday, May 7, Persistent in Prayer, Sacrificial in Giving Luke shows how Jesus turned to two widows in order to teach important spiritual truths. In the first case, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus pitied a poor and powerless widow who was up against a wicked and powerful judge in her fight for justice. Let's read about that in Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man... She was a victim of injustice and fraud, and yet she believed in the rule of the law and injustice. But the judge was anti-God and anti-people, and so he obviously did not care to help the widow. Caring for widows is a biblical requirement, as we read in Exodus 22, verses 22-24. to "'You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child.' If you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. And Psalm chapter 68 and verse 5. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. And Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 17 learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. But the judge took delight in ignoring the law. However, the widow had one weapon, perseverance, and with it she wore out the judge and got her justice. The parable teaches three important lessons. One, always pray and never get discouraged. Two, prayer changes thing, even the heart of an evil judge. And three, persistent faith is a conquering faith. True faith has eternal counsel to every Christian. Never give up, even if that means waiting for the final vindication when the Son of Man comes, as it said in verse 8. In the second case, in Luke chapter 21 and Mark chapter 12, no sooner had Jesus finished announcing the religious hypocrisy and pretensions of the scribes and the leaders around the temple than he pointed out a stark contrast to them, a poor widow who reveals the nature of genuine religion. So let's look at Luke chapter 21 verses 1 to 4 and Mark chapter 12 verses 41 to 44. Luke twelve, sorry, Luke 21, verse 1, And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had." And Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance." But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Jesus described some of the religious leaders as those who devour widows' houses, in verse 47, and who violate the biblical mandate to care for the widows and the poor. As today, many gave only in order to look pious, and worse, when they gave... They gave out of their own surplus wealth. Their giving really involved no personal sacrifice. In contrast, Jesus asked his disciples to look to the widow as the model of true religion, for she gave all that she had. Show was the motive of the first group. Sacrifice and the glory of God was the motive of the widow. To acknowledge God's ownership of all, that she had, and to serve him with all she had, was the force that propelled the widow to give her two mites. What counts before the all-seeing eye of the Creator is not what we give, but why we give. Not how much we give, but the measure of our sacrifice. So to finish the day, simply How much do you sacrifice of yourself for the good of others and for the cause of God? Friday, May 8. From the book The Adventist Tome, page 204, He who remembered his mother when he was hanging in agony upon the cross, who appeared to the weeping women and made them his messengers to spread the first glad tidings of a risen Saviour, he is woman's best friend today, and is ready to aid her in all the relations of life. And, from the same author, Evangelism, page 464 and 465. The Lord has a work for women as well as for men. They may take their places in His work at this crisis, and He will work through them. If they are imbued with a sense of their duty and labour under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they will have just the self-possession required for this time." The Saviour will reflect upon these self-sacrificing women the light of his countenance and will give them a power that exceeds that of men. They can do in families a work that men cannot do, a work that reaches the inner life. They can become close to the hearts of those whom men cannot reach. Their labour is needed. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One of the most interesting aspects of the Gospels, including Luke, has to do with the role of women in regard to the resurrection of Jesus. All the Gospel stories have women as the first ones to see the risen Christ and to proclaim his resurrection to others. Biblical apologists have been able to use this fact to help affirm the reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, which some people deny or question. Why is the role of women here so important? Because if, as some claim, the stories of Jesus' resurrection were fabricated by the authors, why would they have put women, who weren't highly regarded in that society, as the first ones to see and to proclaim Jesus? If they were making up stories in order to try to get people at that time to believe, why use women as opposed to men? Discuss this. 2. In a society that didn't always recognize the dignity of women, Jesus recognized the status that belongs to them in God's creative order as children of God. Women, as well as men, are made in God's image and equal in His sight. At the same time, however, equal before God, men and women are not the same. How can we affirm the equality of men and women before God and yet, at the same time, affirm, and acknowledge the differences. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled More Precious Than Money and it comes from Ruth in Japan. Ruth was born and raised in Ecuador, in South America, without knowing God. She sensed that something was missing in her life and visited many churches, but none satisfied. Then she visited a Seventh-day Adventist church and found that the people were kind and the pastor treated people equally, she said. Ruth received the DVD, The Last Hope, featuring presentations on Revelation by Pastor Louis concaves Not sure what it was about, Ruth set the DVD aside and forgot about it. Sometime later, Ruth and her husband moved to Japan, where they obtained work in manufacturing. Although successful at her job, Ruth still wasn't satisfied. One day, she noticed an advertisement in a free newspaper inviting people to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Remembering her friendly encounter in Ecuador, Ruth decided to visit. While there, she was delighted to meet Diana, the head elder's wife, who was Brazilian. Diana offered to study the Bible with Ruth. When the two met for their first Bible study, Diana brought a DVD by Pastor Louis Concarves. Ruth realized that it was the same DVD she had received in Ecuador. Convinced that this was more than just a coincidence, Ruth watched the DVD. As she continued studying, Ruth was convicted that she had found the truth. When she learned about the seventh day, and that it was God's holy day, Ruth quickly decided to quit working on Sabbath. Are you crazy? her co-workers asked. You get paid a higher rate on Saturdays. Why don't you earn the money and... "'Give it to your church.' "'There's something more precious than money,' Ruth replied, "'such as going to church each Sabbath and learning new things.' Soon, Ruth was ready to make a full commitment and was baptised. When her co-workers realised that Ruth was serious about her newfound faith, they turned against her. "'You've changed,' some told her. "'I can't work with you,' said another." but her supervisor still valued Ruth and allowed her to take every Saturday off. "'Many things have changed in my life,' Ruth explains. "'The way I think, my habits, my relationships with people, everything. "'Before I had a hard heart, but now I'm rich in emotion and can empathise with others. "'Ruth is one of the many South American immigrants in Japan.' members of the Seventh-day Adventist International Church in Japan are actively seeking to reach others like Ruth. One of this quarter's Thirteen Sabbath Offering Projects is to help build an international evangelistic centre in Japan. For more stories, either in print or video, visit www.adventistmission.org. Did you know that you don't have to wait for the end of the quarter to give to the Thirteen Sabbath Offering Projects? You can give any time on our secure website at giving.adventistmission.org. What a great story. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.